One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. We've got a special treat for you today. We are here to talk about. One of the top shows on Netflix has been there consistently for the last few weeks. It's a show called 1899. It's from the creators of Dark. And joining me today for this podcast episode, uh, I mean, I have the best of the best, the cream of the crop. She is known as at Joy O'Napping on Twitter and also my wife, at Joy O'Napping, who will call Joy. Welcome to Decoding TV. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you and the rest of the cream of the crop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. I mean, oh, no, everyone. I just, spo- I just spoiled it. <laughs> Every everyone at Decoding TV is is really the cream of the crop. But yes, so um, we're all tied for first. You're all you're, you're all tied for first. That's really what it is. Um, but obviously, uh, you've heard Joy and myself talk about the Crown season five and uh, uh, Better Call Saul season finale here on the Decoding TV uh, feed, uh, and probably many more things in the future. Joining us also, uh, she is a writer at insider.com. She's also my co-host on a cast of Kings podcast, Kim Renfro. Welcome to Decoding TV. I think this is your first appearance on Decoding TV. I've made it. Yeah. (laughs) The the whole first 10 episodes of House of the Dragon recap was really a long, elaborate test to see if you were worthy to get onto Decoding TV. So welcome. Thank you. Yes. Um, hey, Kim. It's this is this is like our first podcast, really, since House of the Dragon ended. So uh, I hope uh, I hope life's been treating you well. I've missed our weekly chats. I know. Me too. It's so nice to to see your face and hear your voice. Oh well, the the feeling is mutual. Uh, but hey, we're not here for the love fest. We're here to talk <laughs> about 1899. Six hours ago, we received a message. We believe this comes from the Prometheus. You think the passengers, they're still alive? Capital, we paid good money for this trip. Seven days to get to New York, no detours. That was from the trailer for 1899 Season 1, which is currently streaming on Netflix. I'm going to read the plot summary of this this TV series from IMDb. Multinational immigrants traveling from the old continent to the new encounter a nightmarish riddle aboard a second ship adrift on the open sea. End quote. That is the pretty vague plot summary about 1899. Now, I think... In order to talk about 1899 and like why we are interested in this show at all, it might be good to provide some context. Um, the people who created this show, I'm going to probably butcher their names, but I'm going to give a shot. Yansa Frieza and Baron Bo Odar. Is that roughly correct? They're the co-creators of 1899. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also co-created Dark, which ran for three seasons on Netflix and is a massively popular international show. Uh, that was uh, critically acclaimed. And both of my co-hosts have seen the entirety of Dark. I've seen season one of Dark, never finished it, but I enjoyed what I saw. 
Um, but Kim, why don't we start with you? I mean, you were an enormous fan of Dark. Tell us about what you loved about that show and why you were looking forward to 1899. Yeah, Dark is one of those like sleeper Netflix hits for me where, you know, it was in the era where Netflix wasn't quite putting out the level of originals that they are right now. This was 2016, if I'm geez, remembering correctly. Um, it was like the post Stranger Things era where everyone was kind of like hunting for what was going to be that next hidden gem. And Dark, I saw the teaser and it looked to me like a combination of like like true crime, murder mystery, Stranger Things with like a David Fincher filter put over it. And I was like, cool, sold. I'll watch this. And yeah, I just fell in love very quickly. It was the first uh, international Netflix series I watched. So I watched it all in the original German with just reading subtitles. I thought it had like an incredible score. Both the original score and then the soundtrack of songs that they paired along with it were like some indie bands that I've always loved and have never like heard. Like I hadn't heard Fever Ray used in a Netflix show yet. And so, yeah, I just really loved it. And by the time that they got to season three, I think that Dark is one of the most like tightly written series I have ever seen. It like to completion from start to end. It is so rewatchable because they very clearly from the outset knew exactly how complicated everything was going to be, but they planned it out to a T, which is something that, you know, shows like Westworld have really struggled with once they get up to those second, third seasons. But like Dark was like, whoa, this was it felt very buttoned up. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it, it felt like when you got to the end, you're like, oh, wow, they clearly were planning for this from the beginning, as opposed to they're making things up left and right. And now it doesn't really fit with what we saw earlier. Right. Yeah. Or like, you know, it's inevitable, I think, in like these like big high concept sci fi shows sometimes that like threads will get dropped eventually, like lost or whatever it is. But like really dark had so few like even minute prop details or like character costumes that were coming full circle, like just very cool. But. Yeah, so I love I love geeking out about it. Joy, I would love to hear all of your dark thoughts too. Yes, Joy, tell us about your dark <laughs> not, not thoughts. Not your bleak thoughts, but your thoughts on <laughs> on dark. Um, my happy thoughts about dark um, are, you know, it took me a little while to finish the show because it is in German and I wanted to read the subtitles as opposed to hear the dub. I think I didn't quite catch up until very recently. And I knew it would be frankly, it's like conceptually pretty difficult (laughs) to follow what's going on. And I knew just from internet vibes that it was going to get escalatingly complicated. So if you, for instance, David, enjoyed season one, I think season two and three will blow your mind. Um, And don't worry, internet, if you were screaming at your phone just now when he said he only watched one season, trust (laughs) me that I am working on him really hard to finish it. Because it is so rewatchable, I'd be thrilled to start it with him again at the beginning. Yeah. You look you look like you might want to react to that, David. Yeah. Well, uh, so I watched season one. I thought it was really, really well done. Um, but the show is just a lot of work. Um, you know, it demands a lot of you. Uh, you're seeing multiple characters in different time periods of their lives, played by different actors, Um, and you need to kind of memorize like who is who. And then also like, sometimes they're like from different dimensions and and then it's like, okay, which one of these. And so you just need to keep track. You just need to work to keep track of it all. And I didn't have a, um, Kim Renfro with like amazing show notes, uh, to guide me through it, unfortunately. So, uh, 
but I'm willing to to tackle it again. That said, I was a huge fan of what I saw from season one. Like it's it, season one is really well done overall. Like it's a very satisfying watch overall. Um, and so when 1899 showed up on the Netflix queue, I was like, hey. Let's give it a shot. Let's well, give it a I shot. Well, I was at the same time as I was finishing season three of Dark, 1899 was coming out. And so I mm-hmm. thought, I need to like really get through Dark so that I can close that off, even though it is incredibly complicated, like you said, and takes work, David. I really believe it is worth every ounce of that effort. I, too, like so many other people, have like post-lost traumatic syndrome where you like start a show and it's so intriguing, but you really want to see if they kind of land it before you put in the effort to do the whole thing. So yes, Kim and her incredible recaps and dissection at insider.com are there to guide you as well as, you know, your wife nudging you in the ribs. Um, And coming off of that, I felt so in awe of the architecture of what these showrunners had put together for Dark that I was ready to really follow them literally anywhere, including into this steampunky, you know, sort of late Victorian era world. Um, And we can talk about how excited or not we are (laughs) about that now that we've seen season one. Yeah. So here's how the structure of this conversation is going to go. We are going to talk about overall thoughts on 1899, with no spoilers, uh, and then we are going to dive into full spoilers uh, because you really can't have a conversation about the show without diving into full spoilers. So we're going to try to be as vague as possible during the pre-spoiler section. But let's start with Kim Renfro. Uh, do you think people should watch 1899? What do you think of the show overall? I do think people should watch 1899. It's eight episodes. Like, you know, if it was ten I might hesitate a little <laughs> bit more these days in this economy. I in this like... economy? Eight episodes in this economy? Eight, eight episodes that are all under an hour. You know, this is a show that I think is worth it. Um, honestly, due a, to a, a very well-deserved buildup of goodwill for the creators of this show, based mm-hmm. on what I've seen in Dark. <laughs> interesting, interesting statement, Kim, because that almost implies that Without that buildup of goodwill, season one might be regarded by many people as like a waste of time. I'm just throwing out hypothetically. That's you know? a fascinating, completely off the cuff thought that I think you just had there. I, I, I'm just pulling. <laughs> I'm just shooting from the hip here, you know. Um, but it it sounds like it sounds like from what you're saying that like some amount of goodwill uh, might be desired, perhaps even necessary to really yeah. enjoy the show. Yeah, the the goodwill smooths smooths out some rough edges that I would probably otherwise uh, mull over more than I am at the moment. I've sort Mm -hmm. I'm I've sort of shaken Mm -hmm. off the things, um, which we can get into later once we're talking specifics. But yeah, I I think that like dark season one was probably a a stronger overall introductory mm-hmm. season for the story that they were telling than this is based on what I think they're doing by the end of this season. Um, but it's still very strong for me in terms of like production design, uh, like a lot of like the sci-fi concepts that we see in this show, I think are executed very like in a very just cool way that I like. And I like to just sit there and like be in awe of this little invention or this little steampunky retro futuristic thing that I probably wouldn't have thought of. Um, I like how multilingual it is. 
I really like that aspect of it. Um, because I don't watch a ton of shows that are subtitled or that are in foreign languages. And so this one, like Dark, I found it very easy to get into and like fall into the rhythm of these characters. But yeah, there there's some there's some rough rough patches in there. And some things that I'm, you know, I really hope I see a second season of that can clear up some of my questions and concerns at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Joy, what did you think of 1899 season one? Um, very similar to what Kim thought. Um, a, if you just want a hangout vibes show and this is your vibe, there's no better play. You're not going to find something with more spectacular production as a moody probably haunted ship <laughs> you know kind of show um set in this era steamship specifically um and i learned a lot about the workings of steamships actually from this um like how much work it is to shovel that coal um but you know right like from... not, not too long ago basically there was physical humans that needed to throw coal into fire in order for a ship to keep going right you guys Which... not rewatching titanic on a like biannual basis a whole engine it's room a, plot line. It's a anyway. reminder. It's a reminder. Of it's a reminder. Fact. Yes. What James Cameron brought to our lives so many years ago, we are now reminded of it through the magic of 1899. Steamships. <laughs> um, I think the sci-fi concepts work enough for me. What I think, you know, it's so hard, again, not to compare this to Dark. Dark manages to deliver emotional payoffs along with the sort of plot reveals, even the interim plot reveals, in a way that this doesn't quite do for me. And I think that is probably both a feature and a bug of the fact that the cast mostly doesn't speak the same language. So because it is, by construct, people from all over Europe and China, basically, um, all ending up on this steamship headed to America, it's a metaphor for America itself and its founding, Um, you are frequently looking at pairings of people who cannot communicate to each other. And there is a restrained choice um, have you, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a foreign country where you don't speak the language. So you end up making these really wild hand gestures that you might not ordinarily make. Um, people aren't even doing that. They're just sort of speaking their native language to each other calmly. Yeah. And so the idea that they have an emotional connection is a little bit harder. I, I don't think it's even there on screen. So I really believe that as we head into a second season, hopefully we'll see if Netflix I, I know the Netflix money is not flowing like it used to, and this thing is clearly very expensive. Uh, but if we get another season, I have to believe that they're going to take another pass at what some of those relationships might be like. Mm-hmm. I think that's As a really of- good point about the limitations then of the emotional payoff in the multilingual setup. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I loved the multilingual setup. Some people are very annoyed by it. I think it's quite realistic, quote unquote, for a sci-fi concept, but... Yeah, Dichen, you seem most yeah. dissatisfied. <laughs> well, okay. Well, well, first of all, uh, as of this recording, we don't know if there will be a season two. It's possible by the time you're listening to this, it's like season two has been announced. But as we're recording right now, we don't know if season two or it's been Dichen canceled, is, or if the, or if it's been canceled. <laughs> we just don't know at at this moment. Um, it seems like it might, uh, you know, be renewed just because the show is. From what I can tell, it's always like on the top ten charts. Yeah. Um. So I think 
it, it is distinctly possible that it will get a renewal. Uh, according to Wikipedia, the production budget for season one was something on the order of like seventy million dollars, um, sixty or sixty-two point two million dollars. So it's like a pretty expensive show. It's like and and it, it looks expensive. Um, okay, my thoughts on eighteen ninety nine. You know, uh, I when I pitched this podcast to you both, I was like. I'll be the facilitator and it's going to be listening to joy and Kim, uh, two incredibly intelligent commentators talk about this very deep show that is very intricate and complex. Why is that the setup for this podcast? Um, Because I didn't care for the show. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is a show where I felt like the storytelling went off the rails like it 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 went out of control like there's a certain feeling you get when you feel like oh man like these showrunners are like in control of the storytelling and um and or is one such show um house of the dragon in my opinion to a lesser extent like some of their decisions felt like oh like it, it almost feels like it's spinning a little bit out of control with regards to all the time jumps for me personally um but ultimately, like those were shows that I felt like, oh, they accomplished what they set out to do in those shows. 1899 was a show where I constantly felt like I don't even know. A, I don't even know what I'm looking at. Like, I don't even know what is happening in the show. And uh, it, it felt honestly very similar to Westworld uh, mm-hmm. later seasons where like the show consistently saves reveals uh in order to like give you a little twist and it prefers to do the twist rather than just like tell you hey up front here's what's happening here here's what we're watching up front and then you can like go through this emotional journey with the characters together it doesn't do that instead it would rather be like aha surprise and what was incredibly frustrating about the show is oftentimes like many episodes would end with a massive twist and then they don't explain what happens in the next episode so it'll show you this incredible visual of like, oh, look at this. And then like, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm intrigued. And then I got to watch the next episode. And then they don't explain or they explain very insufficiently what happens um, the next episode. And I found that to be frustrating. All that said, all that said, I agree with a lot of what you said about the positive aspects of the show. Production design's great. Like it's, it's very steampunk. There's very few steampunk shows on TV right now. Uh, or on streaming right now that are like really popular. And so if you want to get your steampunk dose, this is one of the few places to get it. Uh, I used to do these box office Twitter spaces with someone named Scott Mendelson over at the rap. And we were talking about like Jurassic world, all those movies, the Jurassic world movies, they all did really well. And it's like, why do those movies do well, even though they're terrible? And it, and the answer is, at the end of the day, those movies offer you something that no other movies offer you, which is dinosaurs in the real world, right? Like no other movies or, t- you know, offer that thing. And so if you want dinosaurs, in the real- there's only one game in town, which is the Jurassic World franchise. Um, kind of the same thing with steampunk in 1899. Yes, there's other steampunk stuff, but like this is one of the most popular ones. So if you like that aesthetic, you like that feel, you like this sci-fi puzzle box mystery stuff. Um, there's very few shows doing it at this level. Uh, and so you might enjoy 1899. Also, a lot of the performances are great, even as I think the storytelling is like completely nonsensical and devolving into nonsense. Everyone in the show is still giving it their all. Like I, I never felt like 
these people aren't even trying. Like everyone is like kicking butt with their performances. Um, and so it's compelling for that reason alone. But uh, to me, I did not enjoy the show, particularly through season one. So can I have a quick gut check with Kim? Yes. I felt at the end of Dark season one, I remember the final image and I remember thinking, I do not want this in season two mm. because I can barely understand what just happened in season one. And I don't need this new level of trouble in my life. And I have a feeling that maybe because she and I have been on the the full journey of Dark, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we are used to some of these feelings a little bit more. And it's not just like a trust in the final product. It's part of that. But maybe trust that the final product includes a journey that feels like this. I don't know. That might be me projecting. What do you think, Kim? Yeah, there is something to that, that the first season of Dark, like the first, like this first season of 1899, are both like, with Dark by the end, you understand that they had like a massive, you know, wall-sized puzzle. And they were showing you like this little itty bitty center bit of it in Mm -hmm. season one. And so it feels like that's happening again with 1899. But in with Dark, at least along the way, you were already really invested in just that centerpiece. And like there were like you pointed out exactly, Joy, like there were emotional payoffs throughout that to me I was like already in on. Like I was in on just this kid has gone missing and I really want him reunited with his family. And like the way that that's not, that's like the tiniest slice of the story. Whereas in 1899, I'm not sure that they were as successful about getting you to care about all of the different emotional relationships going on. And I think you're exactly spot on because they weren't, they were just constantly confessing to one another, not actually able to empathize and understand one another. Right. Because in dark, I mean, first of all, the premise of Dark is there's a child that's vanished and everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. That is an extremely understandable, relatable situation, right? Like you may not have had a child vanish, but like you've read about in the news countless times, you know, maybe you know someone for which this happened or whatever. Um, Here, this show takes place in 1899. And the question (laughs) is, where is the steamship and is it going to get to New York on time? Yeah, exactly. It's It's just inherently less relatable of a thing and then like everyone has these like uh, fairly outlandish backstories i have to say like just like really out there like extreme backstory the show is much more ambitious than dark you know to me it feels like because like they're trying to create a new world for every one of these characters and um it's definitely much more grand visually and in its like scope I think it's really ambitious. It's not, I don't know if anything can be as ambitious as dark in terms of the sci-fi concept that I don't want to even say anything about. Cause I think it's yeah. kind of a spoiler, yeah. but okay. Well, uh, it looks uh, like Kim had something to, yeah, go ahead. Kim. I was just going to say, I do think that you're right. That it's, um, it has parallels to Westworld a little bit in what I agree with that parallel that you mentioned about it's, it almost seems sometimes like they're more interested in hiding the actual story from you than like building a really solid puzzle boxy mystery thing like at times where like similar to like Westworld season two or three where you find yourself kind of asking like did you need to like obscure that from me for that long or were you just trying to elicit some sort of shock from me when you finally let me know what's happening 
I don't mind. Like, it, I think it is a healthy feeling for a showrunner to want to be like to take the the handkerchief or whatever the cloth off of the table and aha, like reveal. Look at this, and for you know to want the viewer to be like, whoa, amazing. Um, I think the problem with Westworld, and to some degree with 1899, is like it can't be just that for the whole thing, you know, like, or it can't be like 80 percent that. It needs to be like 10 to 20 percent that, and the other 80 percent is like making me care about all these people on the show. Um, but anyway, we have so much more to discuss. Uh, so why don't we say that that is going to be our non-spoiler discussion about 1899? You know, one of the things about 1899 that's really incredible is seeing the birth of uh, and, and utilization of a lot of technologies, right? Like electricity, as an example. <laughs> and I bring that up because this episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by Nissan as a pioneer in the electric vehicle space. Nissan's always looking for ways to deliver new, meaningful technologies to EV owners. After all, Nissan has been making EVs since 1947. Which is only before that was it people shoveling coal into the back of the Nissan? <laughs> less less than less than fifty years after uh, when eighteen ninety nine takes place. So they've been doing this for a long time, and their EVs have now traveled eight billion miles by Nissan Leaf owners since twenty ten. Uh, eight billion miles—that's the equivalent of driving to Pluto and back. Do you think that's electrifying? One of their EVs trekked all the way to the North Pole. And Nissan even tests their EV technology on the Formula E racetrack. But Nissan knows that you don't get an EV for just the E. You get a Nissan EV because it makes you feel electric. Because it sparks your imagination. It ignites something within you. It pins you to your seat and takes your breath away. At least that's what Nissan thinks about when designing their EVs like the Nissan Aria and the Nissan Leaf. It's about creating a thrilling design that electrifies its customers. I love Nissan's focus on creating a thrilling drive and an electrifying life. In today's world, it's so important to look around you, pay attention, and look for all the tiny ways that life can electrify you. Like in the case of this show, the character of, I want to say, Daniel, manipulating his little um, hey, sort of... Hey, spoilers! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to say the character of Daniel manipulating a little tile puzzle and that, you know, creating potentially some electric charges, you know? I don't think I don't think that's really a spoiler. I mean, that's something you find out pretty soon. So, and I'm and I'm not even revealing what it does. You know why I'm not revealing what it does, Joy? Because I literally don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all Buy I'm saying, is, all I'm saying is, there's many ways in this show where uh, you, watching it, you're like, man, that is electrifying, and that's why, again, I'm so happy that Nissan is the sponsor of this episode of Decoding TV. Nissan. EVs that electrify. All right, folks, let's get into spoilers for the TV show, 1899. And I, I think what we should do is this, you know, there's one big spoiler that we should just maybe get out of the way. And then we can maybe talk about each of the individual characters. What do you guys think? Is that a good way? Or shall we? Yeah. yeah. So, so the whole, the whole season, I'm having trouble staying on board this story ship as it were <laughs> you know i'm uh, like i'm i'm struggling i'm like okay you're i'm thinking not really of throwing sh- yourself off the side I'm, I'm thinking of throwing myself off you know grabbing a life preserver and just jumping overboard right and uh 
but I'm like, okay, they're ramping up the action. You know, there's a lot of cool looking stuff, and maybe there's answers coming. And then the season one finale of 1899, I gotta be honest, just feels like a massive middle finger at the audience because it's basically like any emotional investment you might have had in literally the eight hours of material that came before this, you better just put that away because probably none of that is true. (laughs) Or we don't know. We don't know. But it is revealed at the end of 1899, season one, so spoilers from this point forward, that uh, the whole thing was a simulation. (laughs) They're all on a ship. Is the ship called the uh, Prometheus that they're on? Or... Yeah. Um, it's called like Project Prometheus. Project Prometheus, right? Uh, that is heading away from Earth, and like all the people you have seen throughout this season are actually also in that simulation, uh, and they are all presumably different people than who you saw throughout the course of the season. Or <laughs> I don't. Know. Well, I'm just gonna put this out there, like. I mean, the uh, the actual date is 2099, right? Um, so, by definition, unless they were in cryo sleep for 150 years or whatever, like they can't have been the same exact people, right? Maybe they have similar personalities, but like, I don't think the ship is. I don't think the spaceship is real either. Well, <laughs> it's okay. just another simulation. <laughs> mm, mm, okay, okay, okay. It's well, anyway. like they got Inception dropped. Into a different layer of a simulation is what I'm pretty sure So you sure think they're not happening. at base reality now? No, I don't think they're there yet. Okay, okay. Well, okay, why, why well, don't we come back? That's the question. Because yeah. either, either they are, either every single thing about that backstory was just like a bunch of made up whatever <laughs> nonsense, BS, yeah. nonsense that yeah. doesn't matter at all because they're actually all on a spaceship and they're these different people in the future. Or... It's like the good place where they have the potential now to flash those characters into any setting, dress, circumstance that they want and say that it's just another simulation, which means that some core of those characters might be consistent. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. But I don't know. And the fact that I don't know is like, did I just waste eight hours of my time or not? Right. So one of three outcomes is possible, right? Like either you did just wait, like the the simulation has the, the, these new characters that we meet at the ship at the end, you know, in the, on the spaceship are nothing like the characters in the show. And you, we all have just wasted our time, not only watching the show, but podcasting about it. That's possibility <laughs> one um, or, or possibility two. Like there's like some core of them that is similar to the personalities we saw, in which case our time has only been mildly wasted or option three, as Kim says, the whole ship, the whole spaceship thing is a simulation and it's yet another layer. And they actually are those people somehow um, the same people from the show in some way, you know, in some different way. I feel like your two and three are somewhat overlapping potential scenarios, but I grasp your straws. (laughs) There's no way it's scenario one. Like these people are not going to have, these people being Baran, Bo, Odar, and Yancha Frieza. Yeah. It's not good. Um, are... Bo and Yance, I think, is kind of how they refer yeah. to Bo, Bo and Yance. Yance. Let's do that. Bo and Yante. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Speak German. Um, <laughs> me either. <laughs> Clearly. Um, 
Probably you know, one of, of us should have Googled that before we began. I, in fact, yes. I did try. Um, <laughs> I think the uh, part of the power of Dark is the trueness of characters and their mm. personalities coming through in different scenarios, settings, under different strains. And you have to believe that if this is such a twisty plot, that actually the characters are what are going to power future seasons of this if we're lucky enough to get that. So I am sort of assuming, I'm taking it on good faith, that we learned something useful about the nature of these people and their relationships. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of times in season one that the relationship that is stated, so it's stated as kind of like an exposition, doesn't seem to match the relationship we're watching. Mm -hmm. And I actually found that like to be the most interesting to hypothesize about what we might get in a future season. Um, I also will say, David, I don't think everyone is in the space canister, or at least their subspace canister of the bigger space mm-hmm. canister. And so maybe we can get to that at the end. Yeah. yeah. After we By walk way, through. I think I was, you know, I think you're right about my overlapping possibilities. I think the, was one of my possibilities that the show's canceled in season two. Did I say that already? <laughs> anyway. Okay. That's a fourth but, scenario. Fourth scenario, the show's canceled, and then like none of this matters at all, you know. But yeah. Uh, anyway, all right. Why don't we get to the each? Speaking of the characters, let's get to each one of them. So we're going to go through each one of the characters, talk about what we thought of their storyline, their ultimate fate, etc. Kim, did you have something else to say before we move on? Or no, I was just going to introduce that by saying like everyone there's a significant number of overlaps between like our groupings, and we'll kind of try to like explain those a bit but like the common theme just seems to be that everyone seems to have either done something horrible or had something horrible happen to them Mm -hmm. in this memory time that we're flashing back to for all of which again we're not sure (laughs) is reliable (laughs) (laughs) because apparently memories can just be manufactured and planted into people's consciousness during their time in this simulation so it's unclear how much of these things actually happened versus like if it's some metaphor for something that they did Mm -hmm. i guess uh maybe we should start with like we should save mora for last what do you guys think i'm gonna i'm gonna i think i wondered about that too let's let's start with ike yeah mora's is the most complicated what what do you think him let's start with ike larson who's the german captain of the kerberos played by andreas pitchman um ike is introduced as a strong leader who is struggling more than he lets up especially when it comes to his drinking habits I believe we eventually find out that his entire family has perished in a fire, right? Uh, And that he was not, he was not there to help them because he was out sailing his ships and, uh, and that has created great guilt within him. And uh, as a result, he drinks a lot. I just want to say, you know, Kim, you tell me what you thought about this, but in the early part of the show, when everyone starts mutinying against Ike, like, I think the show wants us to be like, oh, no, Ike, Ike needs to take control of the ship again. And I'm like, dude, the mutiny people are right. Like, Ike is completely out of control here. You know, like, he yeah. is doing very terrible, counterproductive things. Um, Especially because at that point, you aren't sure if what's going on is supernatural or scientific or what like you know like you're not sure if he's just like straight up hallucinating or if it's like a drug thing or if like what's happening but he's clearly not making sound decisions yeah he uh he decides to like take this boy on board 
And then he decides to tr- he he disobeys the sink ship request, takes the boy on board, uh, and then oh, before uh, that, he takes the the the, the manifest that says that he's the captain of the ghost ship that just he appeared. also hides that yeah yeah and then and then people start mysteriously dying on the ship and so everyone of course is like hey um, you've had your chance Ike and you're done now you're done I um, honestly think Andreas Peachman. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you say his last name, was also in Dark. And again, yes. maybe they, I feel like they captured another little piece of like good character will over just in that actor. Like he seems like a guy I just, I do feel a little bit of empathy for. Like not to the point that I think the mutineers were entirely wrong, but I do think that you're kind of supposed to be like, yeah, he's he's struggling, but he's a good guy deep down. He just hasn't. But, he's a gym hopper before he hopperizes or whatever. That, you know, that's kind of that's kind of how I feel. Is like the show wanted us to like him, and I was just like, this guy is hell on wheels. You know, like he is a disaster, and I am not rooting. I'm rooting for the mutineers to win. Am I supposed to? I don't know. Um, where where does Ike end up at the end of the show? Is he on the space canister? As far as we know, Joy? Yes, Ike is on the space canister. But um, in terms of the progression of the 1899 timeline, if it's even fair to say that that was a point in time, um, he is over... You you may recall that after um, journeying through different people's trauma tunnel basements, um, whatever you call those sort of alternate rooms that are in the ship, but not in the room (laughs) or not in the ship, um, he uh, ends up actually on the Prometheus. Mm. And so he sees the rest of the folks on the Kerberos and, you know, they do get reunited in that way. Um, but it's a very odd, he has the most strange kind of pathway through the mm-hmm. show from a, mm-hmm. like if you were to plot where he goes physically. Um, and just a quick thing. Um, I think Ike's story is even a little bit sadder than what you described because it's not that they died in a fire. They died because his wife lit the house on fire. And mm. killed the family, yes. so should it's have very, very that. dark. Um, I think the, um, I do believe he's supposed to be a romantic hero, and Mara's supposed to be a romantic heroine, and we'll see what, if anything, they do to earn that. And they, they clearly, to me, seem to be set up to have a romantic vibe with each other that she never has chemistry wise with the guy who was introduced as her husband. Yeah. So I would be very surprised if we didn't end up in the future kind of learning that there's some further connection there between them. Right. I totally got the exact same vibe and it almost feels like they're setting you up for a love triangle in the future. Once she has like all of her memories, cause now she like has trauma memories with Ike, but like original romantic memories with mm-hmm. Daniel maybe. And that relationship is complicated by their dead question mark child <laughs> question mark. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about, so it, it, that's kind of Ike's storyline. Shall we move on to the next? Is that cool? Yeah. Or? Okay. So let's talk about Clemence and Lucien and then also Jerome, who's connected to them, right? Yeah. So, uh, Lucien, so Clemence is the young French woman played by Mathilde Olivier. Sorry, butchering all the names. Several people aboard the Kerberos are traveling in pairs, including Clemence and her newlywed husband, Lucien. They seem to be on their honeymoon, though their relationship has already become hostile. Um, Lucien is Clemence's husband, played by Jonas uh, Bloquet. In the pilot episode, Lucien seems disinterested in his new wife during dinner and furious with her in private. Then there is the character of Jerome, one of the French people, played by Jan Gael. 
Jerome first appears as a barefoot stowaway seeking out food and new clothes to wear while he tries to stay unnoticed on the ship. So I brought up these two three characters because um, I believe Lucian abandoned Jerome in war, right? Yeah. And, and then um, then went on board the ship. Lucian, we l- later learn, is suffering from like horrible seizures that he needs this mysterious fluid in order to cure himself of. Um, Jerome comes back for revenge. He like crawls his way onto the ship for revenge and eventually ends up kind of having a mini romantic subplot with Clemence, right? Uh, and that's like most of their storyline that I can recall. Kim, any thoughts on this trio of stories? Yeah, I guess just more specifically the betrayal there seemed to be that it was like Lucian's idea for them to like kill and then impersonate a higher rank officer in the French army or something. And then Mm -hmm. when Jerome like was having second thoughts about the ethics of that, that then like Lucian attacked him, right? And then like left him for dead and went on to impersonate the captain person anyways. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, there's some weird, and then I like I don't quite understand if Clemens already knew Jerome. Well, yeah, this is this so. Is this is thing. actually yeah. This, this is, is, a, is a huge matter of debate in the uh, Chen Joy household. Oh, go great. ahead, Joy. Well, so I actually think this trio of people who are not maybe our primary characters, it, it really encapsulates like the the possibilities and the challenges of this particular season. Because the people who have chemistry, who seem to know each other from a prior life are Clemence and Jérôme. Sorry, I took high school French, so I say it. Really no, I love it. Um, <laughs> I, Clemence and- over here. <laughs> Just butchering these yeah. beautiful French names. Yeah. Um, and Clemence reads to me almost like maybe non-binary. Like I think it's a really interesting gender moment when um they put the on pants. the pants and then that doesn't get remarked on again, but I do wonder if that will come back. And so um I feel like their quote unquote real relationship is not the relationship that's in the simulation. The other thing that my God, is this a complicated thing? If this is a simulation and who knows what the purpose of it is to have like multiple, you know, people who have the same trauma basement in Northern Africa in the desert. I don't know where they are, like in trench warfare. And then one of them steals someone's identity. Mary's a rich girl. They hate each other. One of them has seizures. The medicine may or may not be in the right place on the boat for you to get it. You have to haul his body up from the coal area to back to the first class cabins. And then he dies along the way. And then, you know, I, I know I'm missing. Oh, oh, and along the way, he gets sick of his new wife and he hires the Japanese quote unquote geisha to have a non-sexual interaction with her and then has a seizure in the middle of it. Like, what <laughs> does that serve from the simulation writer's perspective? Yeah, I don't have an answer for you there. <laughs> so I'm again, I trust Bo and Yansha. Um, But I feel like there is a degree of tangledness to these relationships that is got to be its main characteristic going forward. I think that tangledness, like the way that these groups sort of trip into and over each other, um, feels like um, what's coming to mind visually is like the knot that's in dark <laughs> at the mm-hmm. middle of things. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe we will see in different ways. Going forward. Well, yeah, I, I mean, so. I, th- I think, I think, right. Like uh, this is not the first show that 
speculates that like if you're going to put people into cryo sleep for like decades or whatever, you need to ha- engage their brains somehow, or else they'll something will go wrong. Another uh, show that does this is uh, HBO's. Um, HBO Max is raised by wolves. If you saw that, like the people in that show go on a massive journey and then they like, while they're cryo sleep, they need to go to this other like dream world where they interact with each other and stuff like that. And, um, and I like the idea, like it's an interesting idea. Like maybe is there something that's part of the human condition that needs to continue to be active emotionally and intellectually, even while it's asleep in order for like, is that fundamentally what makes us human? And if so, like what is the function of that and how can you shape it for your own purposes? Um, all interesting ideas that are brought up that may or may not ever actually be explored in the show. I, right? I think another question that's asked is, is the nature of the simulation cruel? Because Mora does break out of the simulation, she's got the wedding ring on at the end, which is like in space world, which Kim is saying may or may not be base reality, but let's just pretend for a moment that it is. Um, That's the thing that gets her out of that simulation. And part of the feeling of horror of being in the simulation is that actually not only is it an unwinnable situation, but they've done it many, many dozens of times before. As you see, they say that explicitly and you see all the quote unquote archived ships. So whoever programmed this space simulation, Dave, they didn't make it long enough because it seems like it's supposed to include seven to eight days. And in fact, they have been in space for quite a while. Um, Again, assuming space is actual reality. Uh, so I, I think there's a question of who does the simulation serve and what are its purposes that is raised. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, let's talk about Crestor and Tova. Crestor Tove? and Tova. Tove? I, I think her name was pronounced a couple different ways in the show, if I recall correctly. Um, but anyway, Crestor is a young man from Denmark. Um, he's played by Lucas Lingard Tonensen. And he's a teenage boy who has a large scar across the side of his face. He's defiant of the rules on board, which dictates that the lower class passengers must remain below deck at all times. He has a quasi-romantic moment with Angel. Uh, Angel. Um, and also his sister is Tova, who's played by Clara Rosigar. Tova is the eldest child of a priest and woman who are both very devoutly religious. When a complication arises with her pregnancy, Tova appears uh, gets help from Mora, who appears to be the only competent doctor on the ship. Uh, we also get Tova's backstory, uh, which is incredibly upsetting. Needs, um, it, I, I, it should have had a content warning. It was yep. so upsetting. Yeah, lowest a, point of the show by far. It, it's a, uh, a basically a brutal sexual assault that's depicted in fairly graphic nature on the show. Um, and, but which is revealed fam- to be how she's she's pregnant, right, with her assault child right and uh it's a you know i think her family is super religious so they're like they wouldn't like allow that child to be aborted even if that i don't know if that technology is available back then but like you know um whatever the case like she's keep, she's keep, she's keeping the child also i thought tova's mom other than like forcing tova to keep the child like tova's mom was um uh Eben or Iben Eben uh is the the matriarch of the family uh, kind of a badass in my opinion. She kind of leads the mutineers, and I'm like, I'm on Eben's side personally for parts of the show. Parts of the show. Uh, anyway, so that's the three of them. They're obviously like. Uh, uh also, I, I should point out that Crestor, I believe, um, did he? No, no, no. It wasn't. I was like, who, who killed the guy who assaulted Tova? And it was actually Tova herself. 
Correct. Um, but Crestor got injured by that. He got shot in the yes, face by that's that. that's how right. he has the scar is the yeah, result he, of that same attacker shooting he was him. like defying that guy and then he gets shot in the face yeah so. and then we do so, also learn i hadn't put their father in here but like the dynamic think, seems to be that like they're the father is the priest the like presented leader of this religion but it's very clearly the mother that's in charge but it also mm. seems that at least her children believe that she is not actually religious that she has some sort of mental disorder and has decided that what she is thinking or aware of is like a message from God. And the whole family seems to be just going along with it Mm -hmm. um, to their increasing detriment. So there's like a really interesting layer of like religious abuse and. Well, it reminded me of this, like going on in that thread. There is a uh, Amazon TV series called undone starring Bob Odenkirk. And it reminded me of this like plot line and Rosa Salazar and reminded me of this plot line in that that show where it's like, um, you know, centuries ago, people that like believed they could speak to God were revered in our societies. They were like, mm-hmm. "Oh, you know, this person has a channel to the unknown that we don't have, and let's give them a place of great honor in our society, in our town, or or village, or whatever." Um, and today, um, uh, we consider those people like schizophrenic and lock them up, and mm-hmm. you know, or put them in terrible conditions. Um, but it, you know, this this would be kind of like towards that time period when they like a character like Eben might actually like people would believe her, and it would be like a very reasonable thing to think that like God was informing what she was doing. Um, but yeah, any thoughts on this plotline? Like, there's so much goes down with this family. Like, yes. the, the young daughter Ada, yeah. I think her name is dies suddenly and it's never explained within the 1899 world like what those deaths are about you know people just suddenly just start dropping um i understood it it to be like they were being deleted out of the simulation by either daniel or Mm. whoever else is controlling it that there's some sort of like code that they can enact with that little device thing that like yes. shut, it's like shutting down someone's sim but we don't know that until the end of the show so at first it just seems like people are dropping actually dead yeah, or like yeah. mindlessly jumping off the ship presumably and, also to their death you know it has that mo- i'm not a gamer as david will attest i'm terrible at video games but even i know like the term npc like non-player mm. character and it really felt like oh we're di- we're distinguishing the npcs from the actual characters through this culling um then that really got challenged for me midway through when crester is one of the people who jumps off the ship and it's yeah. a person you've like developed as a viewer like an emotional relationship to at that point and has a relationship to someone else you think is a, a main character in angel oh didn't take spanish and um i i just feel like this little quote-unquote nuclear family um came out of nowhere for me because I really thought that the pregnancy for Tova was going to be the main feature of this family. But then the religious fervor, the father confessing to Ramiro, who is not a real priest in his own, you know, they, they don't have, this was one of my favorite moments that took advantage of the fact that they speak different languages where yeah. he confesses something that is so terrible and so weighty. I don't believe in God and I am pretending for the sake of my wife. And the other man says back to him in Portuguese, everything can be forgiven. It's like just an incredible moment. Yeah. Um, and yet for me, this 
group is among the most sort of scatter shot. I do enjoy just watching Tova stalk around pregnant. Doesn't look like she's had a recent bath and carrying a shotgun. <laughs> I very much enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Well, it's, pretty, it's a pretty badass visual, yeah. I, I got to say the different languages didn't work for me because the whole time when they're talking to each other in the different languages, I, I as a viewer, am trying to keep track of who understands what. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm taken out of it because I'm like, okay, does she know what he's saying? Like, there's this whole meta layer of like, I don't know if they even understand what each other is. So I'm like constantly trying to like put myself into that person's position and being like, would I get what they're saying? Or, and then like, they'll respond in Portuguese and it's like, oh yeah, she can speak Portuguese. You know, like I found the way the multiple languages implemented to be very confusing to me. Not that I don't like the idea of multiple languages, but just like the implementation I thought needed something else. You know, a unit like some some master linguist on board that could like translate for everyone and like it's explained that way. Or in in the new Avatar movie, as an example, you know, awesome storytelling. But basically, like, um, they do this thing where the like right at the beginning of the new Avatar movie, the character is like, I started hearing Navi as English, and then like now all the char- now all the characters speak English, and like it's never explained again. You know, and it's just like. Uh, <laughs> it, it became so familiar to me uh that i didn't i didn't even hear it as navi anymore so all i'm saying is 1899 should take more storytelling tips from james cameron okay let's um, move on i will say i do have this question about the future do they all speak the same language right. in space reality yeah or is yeah. that another feature of the simulator and mm-hmm. yes it was hard to track because some people were bilingual so like mrs yeah. wilson speaks cantonese english and french so it's like oh if she's in the room with these people she can understand this but nobody can understand polish yeah. so oleg yeah. is by himself but but if they are if they all still if they all speak a common language in the space canister um then that would explain why they can kind of understand each other in the simulation you know like that mm. would yeah, that and would why make they don't like, need the hand waving. Yeah, exactly. Why they don't need hand gestures or anything, right? In the yeah, but anyway. Because it's just one more coded thing. Yes, yes, it's just part of the code or something like that. Um all right, let's talk about the next couple characters, Angel and Rom- uh, Ramiro. Uh they are on the ship and the rest of the passengers believe them to be brothers, but behind closed doors, they are secret lovers. Um and they're running from a horrible Kim secret is in their swaying. Past- if you're watching this on video, I feel like she's like I playing all the secret lovers. Secret lovers. I could feel it through the screen. There's this there's this line that Homer Simpson says in one of the um uh Halloween specials. He's like he finds a television, he's like, television, teacher, mother, secret lover. Um so that's what I thought of. On Helen Rom- Ramiro, priest brothers secret lovers um okay anyway uh, apparently they have killed a priest and uh, ramiro has taken his place right uh at, also at one point angel uh pleasures crester uh above above deck or below deck as it were um uh, any other hey. thoughts on <laughs> any other thoughts on how this plot line plays out kim renfro i, I thought it was a lot more like groomer behavior than i think maybe the show is aware of i don't know i watched the behind the scenes thing and like that actor was just talking about that scene as if it's like just this like Mm -hmm. secret 
whatever attraction and i was like yeah that's a young looking kid and a very clearly experienced older guy who seemed to be taking advantage of the fact that this younger boy was shy and didn't speak the same language and clearly was yeah so yes gave him a fancy gift not extraordinarily consensual seeming um to the point that when crester is it's happening crester's like maybe i'll do this instead i'll be the person you know they switch and also within Angel's own relationship, I don't think it's within the bounds because it's cheating, I think, yeah. is the way it's implied that it's going to be taken, right? Yeah. Well, Ramiro doesn't seem happy about it, so. Right. Um, I don't think Ramiro fully knows. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's like heavily implied that he knows what's going on. Um, but or anyway. that he knows that something like that's happened before. Yeah. But anyway, any other thoughts on, on this plot line? Like they... Any any moments from this this uh, stick out to you other than the grooming behavior? Uh, I really like. Oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, his little trauma basement. Well, like I thought that that was executed very well. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you you know you get it. Um, I like that we actually never like in some of the trauma basements we get like a glimpse of what's happening, but we never get a full backstory. And I'm fine. I'm fine with bloody footprints in the snow or just a well and we figure out or we can kind of just get the vibe that something horrific has happened. It did feel like every single person on the ship, again, knowing it's just a simulation, had a traumatic or violent backstory and or had stolen someone else's identity. And so I don't understand why there's so many sort of slippery layers there. Um, I don't think it's a maybe it's a space prison cell, you know, that mm-hmm. is in the future. But I feel like you're onto something with the very clear like theme of stolen identities or like misunderstood identities and the fact that some of their relationships don't seem like it seems like we're being told that they have this romantic relationship but then exactly like you said the chemistry or the other draw is somehow to another person and i i'm liking the idea that like the deeper thing here that they're building towards is like oh these two have been in a relationship the whole time but like we switched the code so like the appearance of this person was suddenly this other person or like we assigned that random person as your husband but he's not actually your husband in home base type of Mm -hmm. thing i wonder if there's going to be like an agent smith in the matrix kind of speech of like hey We've tried cryosleep dream sequences for many years, and the ones we tried where everyone was happy, like it made everyone go insane. So mm. we had to make it so that the simulation forced you to be in another person's shoes, and that's the only way we could and get you to And or have murdered this. a priest and stolen right. his clothes. <laughs> exactly. The only simulations that worked were the priest murdering ones. Like that's the only way this, you know, the Prometheus can function. Okay. Um, anyway, any other thoughts before we get to the final couple of uh, storylines here? So let's just do Olek, Virginia, Yukji, and Jingyi all at once, right? Uh, Olek is a bit of an outsider. Um, he is a Polish man uh, who is a humble and sincere person aboard the Kerberos working, shoveling coal into the engine. Uh, Virginia is a British woman played by Rosalie Craig. Uh, she takes a likeness to Mora, the doctor and the main character, perhaps believing that they're both like-minded, educated women. But Virginia has a secret of her own when it comes to the role she plays in other ship passengers' lives. 
Yukji is a woman from Hong Kong, played by Gabby Wong. To the rest of the passengers, she seems to be the servant of her traveling companion. But the pilot episode reveals that this is just a cover story. Um, Jing Yi is also heading to New York with a secret purpose. She's I think played it might by... be Ling Yi. Okay. Is this Ling... An... <laughs> Ling Yi is what I mean to say. And yes, that is correct. Um, Ling I literally Yi... just double-checked the other one and Netflix's like press thing is not mm. correct. Mm. Mm. Well, Ling Only Yi... for the people of color. <laughs> I mean, to be, fair, like, to be fair, like 99% of the people in the show are people of color, but, or 80, 80% of the people in the show are people of color. But anyway, um, Jingyi, uh, Lingyi and Yukji are, he- are Chinese. They're allowing people to believe they're Japanese. Um, and Lingyi is heading to New York in a disguise, uh, just like Ramiro and Angel. So uh, Oleg and Jing, I'm uh, sorry, Lingyi eventually connect with each other and have a kind of romance, which I guess is fine. Um, but yes, I mean, Kim, why don't you start by telling us, like, what is the horrifying secret that Virginia is harboring uh, as the associate of of these other uh, women that she's traveling with? So my understanding is that it's like she's running some sort of sex trafficking sex worker mm-hmm. ring in the Victorian times. Um, so she seems to be like illegally bringing these women to America and... Yeah. My understanding of the backstory for the mother and daughter is that the mother was a sex worker, had her daughter. Daughter grew up understanding this kind of world, but didn't intend to follow in her mother's footsteps in her line of work and has found herself there because she somehow wound up switching places with her friend. I thought that was her sister. Was that not her sister. friend? Sister. Okay. Yeah. That's so it was her sadder. We thought that, Kim, because I think it says Maymay, but we don't speak Cantonese. We speak Mandarin, which is like close. And Maymay, it means like little sister. It was a little mm. weird to think like, why would your little sister be in sex work while you're not? But you would think like the older one would be the one who goes yeah. into the family business but, first. But, but she, she she basically accidentally feeds her sister like too many tranquilizers or whatever, and then ends up killing her. And then she's like, okay, well, I got to take her place because one of us has got to get to New York. Yeah. Um, and that's what ends up happening. Yeah. Um, so, and then kind and of fa- falls in love with Oleg. I, I, I did not find the romance to be particularly convincing personally, but I'm curious yeah. if you had any thoughts on it. I mean, Oleg is by far, I think, like, he's the nice boy. You yes. need. I yes. feel like you need a nice boy on pretty he's much... Albie from the White Lotus of 1899. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You need one. So he seems to be, like, the sweet, well-intentioned, caring... I'm just trying to like live my life and work hard and get to a better situation kind of guy. And then, yeah, his backstory, the mysterious like oil vat blood in the snow situation seems to belie a darkness. But like of all the characters, I feel like Olek um, and then Lingji are probably like supposed to be our wholesome couple. But I agree with you that it's 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 a loose it's a it's loose pretty... connection that they have right now, given that they don't actually understand what either is saying any of the time, but they seem to be physically on the same page of like, let's just stick together. So mm-hmm. maybe uh-huh. we're going to find out in the future again, that they all speak the same language and they're, right, con- maybe they're, they... they're married in the future. And that's why they, that would be kind of yeah. cute. Like they keep finding each other. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, it's like it's space, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, you know? 
Anyway, Joy, go ahead. Well, you know, I was I, I didn't think the term grooming until you said it, Kim, but I think that's a really good read. And so that sort of power differential, it's like uncomfortable if these are two people in the same space can, right? And now I'm thinking about Mrs. Wilson having another person in the space can as her subjugated sex worker, and then that person having a subjugated servant, kind of, you know? And then, like, there is another, I would call it a sexual assault scene where she shits on Ling Yi, which was, I I don't even understand totally how that was possible. But, um, you know, I, I just wonder if the simulation... Another possibility is not that the simulation is just revealing things about these personalities, but like creating new traumas for these personalities Mm. in their Mm. space cans. It would certainly not be something I could wake up to and then just look over and be like, hey, how's it going? We're we're cool. Yeah. All right. Shall we get to the final storylines, right? We got Elliot, a mysterious boy. uh, Who we later learn is Mora and Daniel's son. Right? Yep. Which brings us to Maura Franklin, the main character. Now, I, I want to start by saying, like, I thought the the character of Elliot, played by Flynn Edwards, was really awesome, creepy kid. Like, he oh, yeah. spends the first, like, three episodes, like, not saying any words at all. And that's, like, a hard thing to do performance-wise. Uh, to, like, take this character seriously, even though he can't talk. Like, I thought he did a great job. Um, so, full stop. Great job from, from Flynn Edwards. Maura Franklin is a British doctor played by Emily Beecham. When we meet Maura at the start of the show, she's having dreams related to a psychiatric hospital where she was held against her will. So uh, Maura Franklin is like, my name is Maura Franklin. It's 1899. I'm aboard the Kerberos. She says all this stuff. And I I turn to Joy and I'm like, literally, I bet not a single one of those things is true, which I think is probably, which is I think probably what ends up being accurate. Now, Kim Renfro what are your thoughts on the Maura Franklin storyline, which theoretically needs to be the heart and soul of this season? I I think that this was the strongest emotional thread, uh, which is good for them because she's clearly their protagonist. Um, I did... I, it was one of those things where by the time I got to the end, I was like, I wish I knew more of the truth of what was going on with Mora up front. Cause I feel like the first few episodes just felt like we were spinning our wheels of like something bad happened to her in a hospital. Seems like we know she's connected to the ship via her father and like waiting so long to get more actual information about her backstory, I think was maybe a miss for me. Um, But I really like her overall as a character. Um, I think it's really interesting to follow, like, this doctor, sci-fi, space woman person who seems like, I think that it, that role was cast very well. Because, like, when she, like, untucks and, like, her hair was short, I was like, ooh. <laughs> like, you're you're Maura, talking about the end, the end of the show you're talking about? Yeah, the what, end of the yeah. show. And I was immediately like, yeah, I can completely see that woman in this context, which I think was a really cool um just a really cool win for them, I guess, uh, in terms of character writing, that they managed to make her feel timeless, but not in a way that was suspicious when you thought that this was truly 1899. Uh, Joy, your thoughts on Maura Franklin as the protagonist? Yeah, I agree. She translates well to space time. Um, like, 
Ellen Ripley is so believable and grounded as a space protagonist who's female. And we haven't, we unfortunately don't get that many of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, particularly as a woman of science, like it all just felt very believable. I I do think it's still possible that she's running this next level of the simulation, that this is all about her and her sitch. Um, Mora works pretty well for me, but the things around Mora mostly don't work for me. So with Elliot, I didn't quite get I, I understood she was protective of him when it turns out in the simulation of 1899 in the steamship that that's her son. I'm like, oh, I could see it. But she also says, that's not my son. I would know if I had a son. I would feel it. And I think I feel it that she doesn't have a son, like in the depiction. And yeah. to some extent, she also says, I don't know if you're my husband. And I definitely don't feel like she's married to that dude. Um, so uh, in, I, in, the, in the sense that they have like very little chemistry with each other, I, th- I thought. Her and Daniel, you're talking about, right? Yes. In fact, I was spending a lot of time hypothesizing that was her brother. That's how little romantic chemistry I thought they had. And then, of course, I was just thrown by the whole idea that her father's name is also Henry, but then the envelope is addressed to Henry, and her middle name is Henrietta, which doesn't come out until, like, episode seven. So I'm not really sure if her father's just, like, an astral projection of stuff in her head or, you know, whatever. Um, but I, I do have a theory that Daniel, Henry, Elliot don't really exist in space mm. can level. Mm. We certainly don't see any three of them, any of the three of them in space can level. Wait, so the three people are her husband, Daniel. Yes. Quote, quote unquote, her husband, Daniel, play, Daniel Solace, her, her son, Elliot, uh, Elliot, and then the brother, Henry, Henry right? Henry's no, no, no. her father. Henry or, or is, Henry the it, father, confusingly yeah. enough, yes. Yeah. Her father is Kyburn from Game of Thrones. Mr. Kyburn. Original season. Yes. Yeah. Slash, what's his Part name? Part of gas. Andor. Part of gas yes. from Andor, yeah. Um, he is not in the, simu- uh, in the space cans. And the brother's name is Kieran, C-I-A-R-A-N, which we only see through a sort of at the, the terminal in the space yeah. can. I would, I, I do get what you mean about not, about kind of believing her that she would feel if she had a child. But it also makes sense to me if like the whole thing that where Daniel is telling her that they were the first people to create the simulation and that simulation is Elliot's bedroom underneath a grave makes yeah. me feel like she did have a child, but he died like a long time mm. ago. And in this mm. memory, like, and then I'm also, I would believe that Daniel is also either doesn't exist or is dead in whatever the real world is. Yeah. And that this is him living on in code. And it's like, he was like the encoded little guide master for a loophole. And so is Elliot that like the two of them are just like a, it's like a coded helper within the simulation and that she i also believe that she's that she was in control because it's her voice that says wake up every time that one of them like has their little dream about their trauma and then suddenly becomes conscious in the ship again so i don't know uh i think you're you're both right that daniel probably is dead because he does have that really long speech where he's like Yes, she's like, "Will you be there when I wake up?" And he's like, "I'll be with you always." always you know, like, yeah, all you know, and it's like, okay, you're dead. This guy's dead. Like, yeah. he's not alive anymore. Um, but 
Yeah. And that's when I was getting like Inception vibes about the idea that like they're in a multi-layered simulation mm-hmm. and that some of that coding can only exist at one layer of the simulation because the person died in real life or something mm-hmm. or because mm-hmm. like something to do with the sort of steampunk tech that they're trying to create here. So at the end, Mora wakes up. She's the only one to wake up on the ship. She claw- she like looks at all these other people that are around her, right? Uh, and then she gets a message from her brother who's like, welcome like welcome mora good morning wake up you know um so joy you wanted to call out who is in the space canister and then we should just spend a little bit of time talking about like what we think is the meaning of this ending and where we think the show's going so yeah so i also wrote down what was on the terminal text but okay here's who's in the space canister she like comes out of her little sarcophagus mini thing and she looks to her side so it's mrs wilson the madam then ike then her or the empty space where she used to be. Yeah. Then a window. Then Crestor. No, notably, notably, she was next to Ike. So that's a, you know, maybe yes, they're like, yes, I maybe they're married well. in the real, quote unquote, real world or space simulation, whichever one it is. Anyway, go mm-hmm. ahead. Sorry. Then it's yeah. her, then Crestor, then window. Then Tova. W- window is an actual window, not a person named window, right? Yes, there's no okay. one named window. <laughs> okay, okay on yeah. this just show. making sure. Just Tova. Sure. Pronounced then... Windu, actually. <laughs> Vindov, um, <laughs> then Olek, then Ling Yi. So Olek and Ling Yi are next to each other. Mm-hmm. Ling Yi is next to her mom, quote unquote, Yukja. Then Ibn and Ankar, who are, you know, married Danish couple. Then Angel and Ramiro. Yes. Then Window. Then, are y'all ready for this? Second empty sarcophagus thing. Ooh. It's not the same. Because Ooh. the first one's not next to a window. Uh-huh. So who is unaccounted for then, you know? Well, in... then there are three more. Uh, we get, yeah. um, if I were to follow the same order, yeah, yeah. it would be yeah. then Jérôme, Clémence, and Lucien. Oh. Okay. So who's unaccounted for? So Elliot is unaccounted for, right? Elliot, Daniel. Uh, Ada, Dan- the yeah. kid, is not there. Daniel's yeah. not there. Kyburn slash Henry Singleton is not there. And, and um, who's played by Ant- actor Anton Lesser, by the way, is the name of the guy. Yeah, it could be Kieran. It could be, um, you know, there were some crew people, like the number two person on the yeah. crew had a big yeah. role but didn't get a backstory. There, was, I think they were named like Sebastian. There was one named Franz. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But here's the thing: on the terminal, before she reads it, there is a physical piece of paper taped to it that says may your coffee kick in before reality does so someone physically taped this at some point yeah in 2099 there's tape and maybe it's the person who escaped their sarcophagus they don't seem to be in the room i have a lot of questions or, about nutrients and like how these people sustain themselves or it's not, it's not real. reality <laughs> <laughs> so they're not sustaining themselves no one put that paper there it's a piece of code that someone yeah, just had yeah, to yeah. make appear yeah on like like that was really that was yeah, one so- of to me the bigger things in the finale that that felt a little risky in terms of like did any of this matter anymore because they effectively established that someone <clears throat> with daniel's level of understanding of the simulation can press the right buttons and just change the way that things function in a second, which means that like, it's not, if you are watching something function that you can't 
guarantee that that thing is actually even happening and that it's not some other simulation where it's secretly doing something other than its visual purpose or whatnot. Yeah. And may your coffee coffee kick in before reality does is the phrasing that's inside that book that is repeated over and over, which makes you realize these are just set dressing books, right? That they find, I think Mm. Mrs. Wilson finds in the sort of cabin of the Kerberos. So that is, I think, a pretty strong piece of evidence for Kim's idea that it's not base reality yet. Also, you tell me, because you said you, you have down all the stuff that was on the screen. I had typed in the longitude latitude coordinates to like a regular world map and it's smack in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So mm. I think this is my hypothesis. Um, they, so let me just read off what it says. It says Project Prometheus survival mission to, and then they put the coordinates. I think it's the same coordinates of where they put, they, they told the Kerberos to go. Mm, where, I would yeah, have to yeah. go back and check that. And then passengers equals 1423, crew 550. So those numbers are not exactly the same as what they said were the passenger counts on the ship originally, but they're ballpark similar. I don't know why they were so specific about this. Date, October 19th, 2099. And then it says like message Kieran colon. So it's like username is Kieran. Hello, sister period. Welcome to reality period. The end. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know, like the idea that we've heard a little bit about Kieran throughout, like at the very beginning, we know she gets the message and then she's like, what have you done to my brother? But at the very end, right before we switch to space reality and Daniel is kind of giving this, oh my gosh, it's not your dad, it's your brother. It it feels very hurried that we're suddenly shifting focus to the brother. And in, in a way that does not feel real to me either, as opposed to just like sloppy storytelling. Dijen, you're kind of laughing. I mean, I mean, it's either all incredibly intricately put together that's in a way that's going to make total sense in season two, or it's very, very sloppy. And I, you know, I haven't seen all of Dark, so I'm willing to trust you, you both, on this for now. What if Daniel is her brother? But, but okay, I mean, Kim, Kim, you get, you get to the end of, you get. To, uh, yeah, that, he had vivid memories of them having sex. Mm, beautifully said. Happy mm-hmm. holidays, everyone. <laughs> Can't escape the incest, even on dark. Mm-hmm. Um, Father, no, brother, or you know, husband, <laughs> brother, secret lover. Um, so, Kim, you get to the end of 1899, okay? Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, they're all coming out of the sarcophagi, or she is, and total badass. She broke free of the simulation. And her dad, I guess, is screwed now, Is was a sense I got, right? Um, because Daniel was rewriting the code in such a way that it would screw over all the other people that were trapped in that other layer, which was also a simulation, I guess, right? Is that your interpretation? Um, but, okay, so she comes out, and then they're in space! Woo! Okay, now, um, what do you make of the first season? Like, what, what do you think, like, if you're trying to explain, like, Here's what the first season was about, or what it was trying to say. You know, like what what do you what do you feel about that, given what we learn at the end of the season? I mean, I think that they are trying to tell some type of a story about the sort of mythology around death and punishment and like mm-hmm. purgatory. Um, all of the allusions to like the Greek mythology stuff, right? Like Kerberos is the three-headed dog that guards 
hell effectively mm-hmm. um prometheus being the mytho- like the mythological character who is credited with like giving humans fire and therefore technology and therefore like birthing what we know as like human culture and then he was punished for eternity I don't know if you know this tale. I feel like it's relatively common, but if anyone mm-hmm. listening doesn't know about Prometheus, his punishment for defying the gods and giving humans fire was that he was like left on a crag and an eagle came and ate his liver every day. But because he is a god, it just regenerates overnight and then he comes and has his liver eaten again. So like this idea of like monotonous, brutal punishment eternal Mm -hmm. punishment Mm -hmm. because something that you did pissed someone off who had more power than you and so like i love those types of parallels and details and references and dark was also full of a lot of like ariadne and theseus and like similar veins of greek and roman like mythology so if they are going to continue on this path of like this simulation is like forcing people to brutally contend with terrible things that happened in their past and somehow they are either going to come together out of it and like show that humanity isn't just a bunch of awful things happening to people all the time for no reason but like that there can be some sort of human connection but those are all very big lofty things that I don't think they nailed in a first season (laughs) yet because of dark I'm open to the I'm open to seeing how they are deciding to carry this story on because I do not believe that they're doing any of this stuff for no reason. I'm just mm-hmm. not sure if the execution is at the same level as it was for Dark yet. Uh, very well said, Kim. Joy, any thoughts on what this first season means? Yeah, I think the slightly grimmer spin on it is that it's you're, you've been consigned to a loop where you are constantly doomed every day to either have your liver eaten or to <laughs> fail to rescue the Prometheus from the middle of the ocean and tow it back to Europe. Um, and all these terrible things will happen and your ship will get eaten by, I don't know, silicon spikes or whatever those were. Um, I... I think the slightly more positive (laughs) question is, if you are given chance after chance after chance, can you actually overcome your trauma slash programming slash emotions slash pre-existing relationships to make better choices? Mm -hmm. And it's meant to be, I think, aspirational that Mora finds a way to break out of it. Now, we'll find out if she's the person behind the curtain the whole time or it's just another level of the game that she got to or, you know, whatever. But I think that um, just like going to America in 1899 has the same sort of like all these people are trying to shed their old lives and all their old, you know, relationships and stories and whatever they did back wherever they came from to kind of have it all washed away by America. Um, so as opposed to a punishment narrative, maybe mm. it's um, an experiment with a very low chance of success. <laughs> mm. um, but the thing it reminds me, there are two things that it reminds me of that we haven't chatted about yet. One is um, tonally memento. So we've talked about inception, mm. but that sort of like, you know, you leave yourself a clue for the next time, but what if you misinterpret the clue? I wonder if there's like a slippery um, – mm 
misreading of uh, maybe like she's leaving herself clues and she's like screwing it up. Um, the other thing is Prometheus the movie by Ridley Scott, a movie yeah. I love and that most people hate um, because it actually, like the first season of 1899, doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, but it just has these hints that people bring their lens and their goal to this mission. Um, and it's a real be careful what you wish for cautionary tale. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do feel that, you know, this ship of Motley folks from around the world is similar to that one in some ways. And uh, they should all be careful what they're wishing for in embarking on this journey, which as we now know, didn't actually happen. <laughs> Totally. First of all, really well done articulations of what the show might be trying to say. Um, and I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, there is a movie called Triangle, uh, directed by Christopher Smith. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And it is an extremely similar plot to this show, <laughs> which it's it's about a ship. That's kind of trapped in a time loop, basically. Wait, is this kind um, of like a horror movie from 10 or 15 years ago? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I love this. In fact, I'm probably going to pop it on after we uh, finish talking today. As I, a palate I, cleanser. As a palate cleanser. Um, but yeah, I mean, Triangle is like, I don't know, it's like less than two hours long, I think. And it's just a really well done horror movie. Great performances all around. And I think it it kind of, you know, it, Kim, as you were describing what you think 1899 is trying to talk about, like Triangle, it kind of is about a ship but instead it uses sisyphus not prometheus mm, as the mm -hmm. as the primary mythological figure mm, similar um, problem bad yeah. day every similar day similar problem similar problem um so i'm just gonna you know say i really enjoyed listening to you both talk about the show and throw out a little shout out for my one of my favorite films triangle and uh and we can leave it at that but uh it sounds like you both got at least something out of 1899 if not a lot and uh i'm glad i'm so glad that decoding tv can bring two of these opinions together today. So any closing thoughts or any other things we didn't discuss about 1899 before we wrap up today? Well, I just have one question for y'all. Um, do you think we are going to be in 2099 slash space time if we get another season? Or do you think we'll ever go back, not just to 1899, but this thing seems obsessed with the 1970s. There's so much set dressing from the sort of late mid-century. Kim? I don't... No, it reminds I, I feel right now the same way that I felt waiting for season two of The Good Place, where I was mm. like, they're either they either just reset us to then let us play out this entire story in a slightly different way for a whole season. And then brilliantly, I think that writer's room decided to just burn through every possibility yeah 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 to like skip the part where you're saying like well what's the point if this is all just gonna get reset again they were like reset 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 so that's why i was like if they're about to do something like oh you're in space just kidding like by the end of the first episode of season two they've already flipped the simulation again or something or like i think that that i think that might be where it's headed but i just forgot what even the question was or what the what did just you like just... are we going back to those times oh, right, right, right. or not i feel like it would be weird if we didn't at some point like there has to be a reason why 1899 was the beginning setting for mm -hmm. basically the entirety of season and the one. name of the show yeah the, yeah name it i and i'm Part of me is like, they're doing something with the numbers that I don't have the math brain for yet. Because I'm like, one plus eight equals nine, and then there's nine, and then they jump to 10, 19. Like, 
there I feel like there is something happening there that I just don't know about yet. And I'm fine with waiting until one plus eight two. equals nine. So uh-huh. if you add the numbers up, it's nine nine nine. Turn it upside down. It's six six six, the mark mm-hmm. of the devil. We're going to hell, baby. It's a Q drop. With Cerberus welcoming us. Prometheus, more like Mephisto. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> on that note. Oh, go ahead, Kim. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say, I guess since we are happening to record this in the period of time where we don't yet know for sure that there's going to be a second season of the show. It's just very interesting to me that like Netflix, we're in this weird phase of Netflix time where I get very hesitant to commit to a full season of a show because I've been burned so many times at this point with either that season being it and we're left on a cliffhanger and or we we get a season two, but even that is still left on a cliffhanger. So I am hoping slash wondering if the same goodwill that people like myself enjoy feel about these great showrunners and writers and directors. I'm hoping that Netflix has a similar faith and lets them at least give us a second season to better explore what I think is a really cool concept. And I think that pieces of it were executed very well. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm wishing and hoping this holiday season that all this wasn't for nothing. <laughs> well, are you talking I do about, think... Are you talking about the show or the American experiment? Um, anyway, go ahead, go ahead, Joy. Well, so well, I know that 1899 <laughs> has driven interest in dark. I think a lot of people didn't want to watch a German language story. And so because 1899 is partly subtitled, but fairly in English, more grounded in English than anything else, I think it's like the gateway drug to dark. And hopefully that will improve the dark numbers. And then that will create the demand that boomerangs back to 1899. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would love that. Indeed. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Kim Renfro, where can people find more of your work in the when you're not podcasting with me over in the Cast Kings feed? Where can people find your work? Yeah, you can find all my coverage on insider.com where I did write just a little short finale explainer thing that elaborates on my simulation theory here. So, you can check that out at Insider if you'd like. All right, we'll link to that in the show notes and find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Support the show at decodingtv.com. And also find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, at Decoding TV. Uh, we hope everyone is having a happy holiday uh, right now. And uh, our next show that we'll be covering on Decoding TV is going to be The Last of Us. Um, you can look forward to that coverage in the next few weeks. It premieres on January 15th on HBO and HBO Max. Until then, uh, uh, also, huge thanks to Joy for joining us today. But I didn't want to say where she's from. I didn't want to ask her where she's from because, you know, we're from the same place here. Um, but Joy, thank you for for chatting as well. Really appreciate your insights as usual. It was really great to be with Kim. And also this was you. great. Let's do it again soon. <laughs> it was amazing Very to fun. be with Kim and then to a much, much lesser secondary distant extent, me, David Chen. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you later. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 